cover stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, in which I talk to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Carianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Grandmaster Joel Benjamin is our guest today. He earned his Grandmaster title in 1986, then became a three-time U.S. champion, winning in 1987, 97, and 2000. He is also known for being the GM consultant for IBM's Deep Blue, the computer that defeated Kasparov in 1997. He has written four books, American Grandmaster, Four Decades of Chess Adventures in 2008, Liquidation on the Chessboard, Mastering the Transition into the Pawn Ending in 2015, which won Best Book from the Chess Journalists of America, and Better Thinking, Better Chess, How a Grandmaster Finds His Move in 2018, which also just won the 2019 Chess Journalists of America Award for Best Chess Book in the Instruction category. He also was co-author of Unorthodox Chess Openings with Eric Schiller in 1987. After once holding the record for the youngest master at the age of 13, he then became the youngest inductee into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame in 2008 at the age of 43. He's here to talk about his cover story in the September Chess Life on the inaugural U.S. Senior Championship, as well as his article on the U.S. team defending its World Senior Championship. Welcome to the Cover Stories with Chess Life podcast, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. So let's get right into uh, the cover story on the U.S. Senior Championship. You wrote that chess can begin again after age 50. That suggests to me that you may have kind of retired and that this event has your competitive juices flowing again in a renewed way. Is this a correct interpretation? Well, let's face it. I mean, all the the grandmasters of my age were pretty much all retired. Um, the, uh, the the open tournaments with the grueling schedules and the uh, the young hungry players. Are, it's just uh, really too difficult to compete in those tournaments anymore. And um, you know, most of us feel that they're they're just you know there's not the right situation to play in. So we're we're mainly uh, teachers and um, uh, writers and and we do online and and, and videos uh, work for for a living, but it's not that we don't want to play. It's just that the opportunities aren't there, and the senior chess is giving us uh, opportunities to play. We don't have to you know face those 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 young hungry players and. Uh, with the senior clothes in particular, we get to play, and the senior team for team championship for that matter, both one game a day tournaments. And uh, just speaking for myself, I play so much better when uh, when I'm rested and I only have to play one game a day. So it, it makes a big difference. And this was held at the St. Louis Chess Club, and the, you know the the conditions there, you know, are are famously. Uh, world class, and it's so different than the conditions you grew up playing in. Talk a little bit about how your career might have been different if you had had access to a St. Louis chess club growing up. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a, they, they, I, I have to admit, just just a tinge of, of jealousy 
that uh, that they weren't around when I was in my prime um, because I played in I, I don't know close to thirty U.S. championships. I've I've lost count. I know I I think I had twenty six in a row or something like that or twenty three twenty four in a row. But um, but you know they were they were in dark days. I mean I played in U.S. championships where there there was um, um, we had old Doc. Crenshaw, who was a great fan of the U.S. Championship, he would be doing the demo boards for nobody. There'd be nobody sitting in the in the audience, and it was before the internet. So it was just we we felt like we were playing at a vacuum, and the prizes were very very low. So uh, so I went I went through a lot of a lot of tough times, and uh, you know uh, now players are just so well supported uh, by the same the St. Louis uh, chess club. And uh, I'm very, I'm very happy for all the, all the current players now that are able, you know, to, to make a good living and, and get great opportunities because of the club. But as they, as they go along more and more, they're becoming increasing, increasingly inclusive. And, you know, they, uh, you know, they created a first class U S junior event. U S junior was around for a long time, but you know, the, they would get, the prizes would be like $200. I mean, it was just, I played in a few of those and they were pretty disgusting. Um, so they're well supported women's championship. We've got the girls championship and now we've got the senior championship. And on top of that, they also organize on a regular basis, international tournaments, not only at the Singfield cup level, but for, you know, players, let's say, in, in, in my range, uh, and, a, and a little higher, and a little lower. So basically, everybody is, is getting to, to profit from this bonanza. So it's, it's really a, a great development. And what's almost doubly interesting uh, in, in talking about this with you personally is that, I don't know if it's famously or not, at least it, it stands out of my memory that when you appear in uh, a cameo in Searching for Bobby Fischer, uh, it's in a scene talking about how bad the conditions are at a chess tournament. Yeah, the, 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 mo- the movie, of course, is based on the, the book, which had a lot more information about the chess world. The, the, the movie was sort of condensed into the story of, of Fred Waiskin's son, Josh. But uh, the, uh, in the scene in the movie... Uh, the the Bruce Pandolfini character is uh, is, is is telling the uh, Fred Waitzkin character apparently you know not to get his son into chess. I don't never really understand why this this fake Bruce Pandolfini, who is so incredibly different from the real Bruce Pandolfini, would 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 want to do that. But um, but it but the the the, the movie doesn't even expl- explain all the details you see in the book because the actual scene from the book. Uh, I'm quoted, you know, asked about the tournament, and I said, I said, not bad, two wins and two draws, tied for second. When you factor in my expenses, I only lost about $50. That was the quote from the book, or more or less, that maybe wasn't $50. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the conditions were pretty bad at those tournaments. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a tough life. Now, I, I imagine that uh, as senior players, your, your desire to win and the and the pain of losing probably are a little bit more towards the center than towards the extremes. Is that a fair question? Uh, I don't know. Um, for me, for me, the senior close this year was really painful because I, I missed some 
really big and obvious opportunities, and I should have won at least two more games. So really, from from the positions that I had and the the general uh, the general way of of playing uh, level of play that I had, I should have won the tournament. And uh, I could really use a result like that. It would really help a lot. So I'm, I'm just very disappointed in the way it turned out for me. I mean, it has nothing to do with uh, the tournament itself. It was great, but, uh, but I, I'm extremely frustrated at, uh, at the mistakes that I made. Speaking of the competition, is, is there more or less camaraderie with your competitors uh, at the senior level than there was, say, in your uh, active U.S. championship days? Ah, it's a good question. I, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's largely the same. Um, maybe even a little bit, a little bit greater because back in the old days, there was, there was a little bit of the, uh, of the American Russian divide. And uh, of course here there was really just me and Larry, but you know, when there was also fed and, and Nick, you know, and sometimes Mike Rode or Mike Wilder, you know, and then there was the Russian brand. Sometimes there was a little bit of divide that the that the camps were a little bit so, uh, separated. But, uh, you know, that, that sort of uh, melted as the years went by anyway. Um, you know, the last two years I played in the senior team with uh, Shaba and Yermo, and it just wouldn't have been the same without them. I mean, they're, they're like a, they're a lot of fun to hang out with. So, um you know, I think the, the the camaraderie is really good because, you know, we all understand that, uh, you know, that uh, we can relate to each other in a whole different way. We have all these shared memories and, um, you know, we the, the tournaments seem a bit bit uh, bit alien to us these days with all these these young kids coming out of the woodwork and they're all they're all extremely tough players. And so we we kind of appreciate uh, getting together and sort of, you know, remembering the way things used to be. Kind of picking up on that point, let, let's, let me go through a list of the competitors at the U.S. Senior and we kind of treat this as a, as a lightning round. Just give a brief impression either as a player or a, as a person about each of these players. Um, starting with Grandmaster Gregory Kaidenoff. Gregory Kaidenoff. Well, well, I, I think I mentioned this in the article. I, I'm tremendously impressed by how professional this guy is because, like, he, he shows up for his game and he plays the open. He's got the opening planned out. He knows what he wants to do. That doesn't mean he has encyclopedic knowledge. It just means he makes these decisions. As for me, like, I get to the board and there's like three or four moves I can play, and it's like, uh, you know, so so ex- extremely professional. You know, then very, uh, you know, very f- uh, friendly, proper guy, and uh, uh, and vegetarian. <laughs> nice little coda there, um, <laughs> and maybe it's working for him because he's he's not getting fat like the rest of us. <laughs> uh, Grandmaster Alexander Golden. Alexander Golden. Well, okay. I mean, he he he's a guy that I uh, you know I haven't. Uh, spent as much uh, time with because he he kind of came later than everybody and he took a, a long break. But I did play in a um, uh, uh, in a in a match tournament with him in China and and we went uh, shopping and uh, and he understood you know how how you barter in China 
And, you know, I was trying to buy a, a necklace from my mom and they gave a price and he just said, no, 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 no. Just like insulted. And he got me a very good price. So I always appreciate how Golden got, you know, helped me uh, negotiate that purchase. <laughs> Grandmaster Larry Christensen. Well, Larry is, uh, is uh, you know, he's a very, very old friend of mine and, uh, you know, he's, He's he's a little bit uh, he's he's a little bit of a grun- you know grumpy looking guy and he he doesn't really like the big crowds and stuff so he's he's been away from a lot of the tournaments but he's still working on his chess he's still I mean he's one of the old he, he's the oldest player in the field he still can play and uh, he can be he can be uh, you know great fun you sit around and 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 talk over stuff he's a very, very smart guy Grandmaster Igor Novikov. <laughs> well, Novikov is also a guy I don't really know that well. I've also played with him in China, and, and I played the you know the, with him on the senior team. Um, the 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 year before, we had Sergey Kudrin on the team, who is a very quiet guy who I've known for you know like like forty years, and you know haven't had that many conversations with. And uh, Novikov makes. Uh, makes uh, Kudrin look like a chatterbox. So Novikov is maybe the quietest chess player that I've ever met. <laughs> Alex Yermolinsky. Oh, so now that we're getting the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Yermo is a guy who loves to talk, has lots of opinions, very, very interesting guy. Um, and, you know, he was a great player uh, at his peak, but he had that kind of style, I guess, very demanding and you know he's he's kind of fallen off in some parts of his game, but he understands uh, certain things in chess extremely well. And I was just uh, really impressed at the game he won against Kaidanov. Kaidanov just got into the wrong kind of position, and I saw Yermo uh, discussing the game in the commentary room, and I I was just you know I just thought that there's there's a true master at his work. Maxim Dlugi. Maxim Delugi. Now, this is a guy that I know very, very well from my childhood because he's 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 actually a little bit younger than me, and we were, you know, we were big rivals uh, growing up, and that you know actually kind of created um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of tension. But uh, he uh, he is a very, very talented player. Um, you know, I think for you know for whatever reasons. He, he felt that he had to be, you know, financially successful and he left chess and probably he and everyone else wonders, you know, what it might have been if he'd, if he'd stuck with it. But, uh, but he's a very interesting guy and, um, you know, and he came back and if, once he got warmed up, he showed that he, he really can play very, very, very well. Yeah, you, you talk a bit in the article about his uh, blitz powers and then having to, uh, you know, kind of pivot and play this slow uh, time control event. Yeah, everybody thought it was a little ridiculous that he didn't get any, you know, any preparation in and uh, in in slow tournaments because the blitz the blitz does not help you. <laughs> I know that he wants he wants uh, he wants it to be that it helps you for your tournament play because because he he pitches blitz just so much. But it, I don't think it I don't think that playing blitz exclusively is is too good for your for your tournament chess, especially when you're playing at that level. Jan Elvest. Jan Elvest is, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a quirky kind of guy. Um, uh, and he, uh, you know, if, if you're talking about the players, you know, at the peak of their career, as you likes to say at the height of their powers, I mean, this guy was, you know, in the top handful of players in the world. 
So he's extremely, extremely skilled. He's a very versatile player, tactics and positional play. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he he lost his confidence very early on. It just, uh, you know, the motivation. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he's... Uh, he, he just hasn't he hasn't made as much as as uh, as he could have of, of what he had, um, but he's still a very very dangerous player. Alexander Fishbein. Well, Fish Fishbein is is a little bit different because he uh, he still actually has a proper job. In fact, he he was starting a new job uh, after the U.S. Championship, and he said he won't be able to play chess for a while while he's doing this. So. Um, he is a, a, a really a true anomaly because I think he is actually at the strongest he's ever been in his career in his fifties because you know he's been working at it and I, I think he's he's actually improved which is which you know is is mind boggling to the rest of us so um, you know he uh, you know because because he hasn't been you know full time player he hasn't had the career the rest of the players have had but uh, but he's a very tough player. Do you happen to know what his career? Sorry, and a New Jersey guy like. <laughs> Do you happen to know what his career is? <laughs> um, you know, I'm very, very bad at what people do for a living because I don't. You know, I've never really had that proper job, but I, I, I would say it's going to be in the financial industry, something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it would be a reasonable guess. There's a lot of chess players uh, that that are in finance. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that brings us to the tournament champion, uh, Grandmaster Alexander Shabalov. Well, okay. First of all, uh, uh, you know he still plays. He still plays full time. And uh, um, now he he has an interesting situation because he married very young. He had children very young, and he's he's actually a grandfather. You know, even though he's not that old. <laughs> um, but you know, because of that, he. Uh, I mean, he doesn't uh, doesn't have um, as many family responsibilities as some of the other players in the tournament have right now. That that gives him a little bit more time to focus on his chess. But still, it's hard to do in your fifties, and he does he does take his lumps from now and now and again in the tournaments from the younger players. But you know, he is he's still hanging in there, and uh, he is one of the, you know one of the most uh, you know, brilliant and creative players that we've had in uh, U.S. history. And, uh, you know, he's a, a very exciting player to watch. And this brings us to the final competitor, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to talk about myself. Um, you know, I, 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 feel, uh, I feel that I still have something left to show. Um, you know, right now, the situation is... It's just it's just not ideal for me. Um, I mean, I have young children. I have to you know, I have to take care of them. It's you know, it takes a lot of t- my time, and um, you know, I I have to you know, I think I have to get myself in better physical shape as well. Um, and you know, this by the time this happens, I may be I may be sixty five, and I may not have it anymore. But um, I I would like to some at some point have the opportunity to, to, to play some serious chess and make some serious results again, because there are times when I feel like I still have it. So, you know, we'll, we'll just see how the future goes on that. And you, you mentioned your children. How old are they? 
Well, my son Aiden is is almost uh, eleven, and uh, my uh, daughter Amy is eight and nine in December. So they they're growing quickly, <laughs> um, and they're just really so much so much fun. As I as I check to see if my if any of them are over my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and from following you on Facebook, I I get the sense that Aiden is much more interested in the New York Mets than he is in chess. He is a super Mets fan. We're actually going to the game tonight. Uh, we're going to try to break their losing streak. Uh, but we did go to the game where they scored four runs in the ninth against Washington, which uh, uh, I mean it actually happened the game before, but he had. Aiden had an O for 14 streak to start his career of, of seeing Mets. Uh, um, uh, he saw the Mets lose every time he went to the game, but we've, we've started a streak in the other direction. But he actually does play, he actually does play chess. Um, he, he has the rating, and he, um, uh, he actually suggested a move to me a couple of years ago, and I was crazy enough to play it in my last tournament uh, and you know, with 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 some success, so <laughs> so yeah, he does he does like chess, but um, you know, the first chess book I got from him was How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. <laughs> yes, promise, you know, he's not going to do it. You know, right? So yeah, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tough to follow in the footsteps of of your you know your father when they're um, you know when they're famous in chess. It seems like it's a little bit easier in the physical sports. You know, you see it fairly often in, in you know, like baseball, for instance, how many juniors there are in the, the, um, in the major leagues right now. But in chess, it's very, very rare. Uh, Fishbein's son, Mitchell, just became a master. And uh, you couldn't really think of other examples of, of a son be- reaching that level. It's, it's pretty rare. So, you know, it's just, I think that... Um, uh, it's it's a little tough for him to get too invested in that because uh, it's a little intimidating. I've been uh, I've been really soft pedaling it. I never I never pushed him. He didn't decide to play in a tournament. It was his call until he was ten years old. Um, because I've seen I've seen so many nightmares of chess parenting. So I'm glad that he appreciates the game and he's proud of of what I do. But I think, you know, it's not his main thing. And uh, frankly, it's more fun to watch him play baseball or basketball and less stressful. I, I can imagine. And as, as you know, we're, we have a very big women's program initiative here at U.S. Chess. What's your daughter's relationship with the game? We can't get her interested. You know, we've tried. It's not like, it's not like we've been ignoring that we have a daughter. But um, she is not really into competition. You know, and she hasn't played a lot of sports, but she is a very good artist. Uh, she plays piano and she and she sings, so she's kind of more into into creative pursuits and competitive pursuits. So I'd like to move over to the World Senior Team Championship, but before I do, I want to kind of break things up with a trivia question that occurred to me, and I will go ahead and give you a hint on this one because I suspect there may be more than the answer that I'm looking for. And the hint is that the, the answer to this question directly involves uh, your relationship with me personally. And that is, you were the very first person to do what in Chess Life magazine? <laughs> oh, 
well, there was a there was a column that you started in the back of the of the of the magazine, right? With uh, the best move, I did the first one. Uh, My you, favorite. You move got it. Very good. There's that 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 grandmaster memory. We all we all uh, marvel at. It's called My Best Move, and you were our very first subject in the August 2012 issue. And since you remember that, I strongly suspect you're going to know the answer to the follow-up question immediately, and that is, what did you list as your best move? Uh, I, I, I think it was... Uh, I, I remember there being a few candidates for it, <laughs> so I'm not sure, but I think it was the, the one against Abramovich from New York Open, the, 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 the sac- Bishop Sacrifice. Was it that one? That's right. Yeah, from okay. the 1984 New York Open. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So very, very good. You, it, you got two for two on that one. The interesting tidbit about that is that that, uh, that game, which, which I used, uh, you know, I used in a couple of my books, um, that continuation from the diagram position, that exists in the chess literature, but the rest of the game doesn't. It only exists because I sent that into the informant um, combination section, so it got preserved. But the you know the actual score of the game this is before the, the scores you know uh, were were you know went out internationally and were collected and so on and I lost my own game score so <laughs> so that's that's oh, we only have that part of the game so considering that that column was seven years ago at this point which is an amazing number to me already uh, it it begs the question if there was uh, have any other candidates for a my best move for you come up since then. Since then, uh, I, I I don't I don't think so. Um, but uh, uh, I, I I do remember that when I wrote the article, I thought about some other ones. Uh, there was like there was one one move I played in the Olympiad to win a game against Peter Popovich, and I liked the move a lot because. Uh, Mark Dvoretsky was watching the game, and Mark Dvoretsky was a very harsh critic of mine. He was a man that I did not like at all, <laughs> uh, and uh, I was very, I was very proud to show him that I was a much better player than he gave me credit for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that though I, I like that a lot. Good. So the the World Senior Championship, the the U.S. It was a World Senior Team Championship, I should say. The the U.S. team uh, emphatically defended its gold medal by winning eight and drawing only one. Why has the U.S. become a senior chess world powerhouse? Well, I mean, we're very, very, we're very, very deep in in in, uh, in those players. Um, you know, maybe there's something to the fact that you know we've had a lot of professional players because you know whatever complaints we have about it, it's been a relatively good chess country, and certainly with the teaching. Uh, possibilities it keeps people in the game for a long time so we have a lot of we have a lot of um, you know 50 plus players that are still in the game still playing at a fairly high level if not at the height of our powers Um, and so so we're you know we're we're turning out the players Um, the tournament hasn't really totally caught on with the rest of the world um, you know, like we haven't, we haven't seen that Russian team yet. You know, um, we, uh, you know, we just saw Armenia, uh, compete, of course, Germany, England. So, you know, we, there isn't, you know, necessarily the, the top competitors, but we've always been pretty deep in, in our grandmasters. 
And uh, I also think that you know that the the the, the weakening of of our of our older players is is largely due to the to the nature of the tournaments we have, which are unfortunately, you know, almost all two rounds a day. Even even a lot of um, round robin tournaments in America are two rounds a day, and uh, and so we're able to really perform at our best. I mean, I just felt such a huge difference playing the one game a day in those in those two um, team championships. But I think that we could win that tournament with with a whole a whole number of players that we can send. So th- this question is kind of uh, similar to one that I asked about the uh, U.S. Senior uh, Championship. D- do you guys have a chance to interact with the other national teams much socially? Yes, yes, we certainly do, and um, I would say that actually um, it was perhaps not as much as as maybe I expected. Um, at first because we had excellent, uh, team camaraderie. Uh, again, I, I can, I, I can't stress enough how, how useful it was to have Yermo and Shaba on the team because, um, you know, like we would have, we would have, you know, captain's room would be our central meeting place. And, you know, I mean, basically people prepare for their games on their own, but we would, we would come, you know, after the game, you know, we'd have a, we'd have a beverage. We'd talk over things, and uh, we really felt like a pretty pretty tight unit. Uh, when we were in Germany, we would drive around uh, the city and visit you know places for dinner and sightseeing and so on. So I think that that really helps the mood. But but definitely, you know, I meet up with uh, with 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 uh, you know people that I knew from years ago, like Iceland. You know, they this year they sent they sent their old team. I mean, I've know those guys that played. You know, most of those guys in in Olympiads and other competitions many times. I know a lot of those English players very well. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of guys I know from the old days. So, with the uh, you know, with this event, with the inaugural U.S. Senior Championship, the fact that we had the National Senior Tournament of Champions start last year, that uh, Alex Fishbein won last year. Um, it's a very healthy state in the U.S. of senior chess. Do you have a sense of what it's like in other areas of the world? Well, it's it, it's kind of hit or miss. I mean, senior chess is like David Hasselhoff in Germany. They love it. Um, like, if for, for instance, if you look at the last two senior team championships, the the total number of teams plummeted when they went to when they went to Greece, even though it was beautiful there. Uh, it was you know really it was nice nice site, great conditions. But <laughs> they didn't have all those German teams, so it's huge in Germany. I think it's fairly big in England too. But it just hasn't it just hasn't caught on. <clears throat> Excuse me, it just hasn't caught on with with most of the European countries. It's still it's still I think a growing industry. I, I have noticed that that FIDE has decided to pump up the prize fund a little bit in the in the individual senior championship uh, this year. Um, and, uh, so I think there, there are a lot of signs that, that, that it's, it's growing and, uh, it's going to become something bigger. Um, but you know, 
at this point, uh, okay, if the other countries aren't that interested, it just uh, makes it uh, easier for the U.S. to rack up gold medals. Well, any, anything that's good for us, that, that, that makes us happy. So that's great. And, and, and I should add that uh, the, the World Senior Team, uh, you guys won the award from U.S. Chess uh, for Outstanding Team Performance Award this year, along with the 2018 Olympiad team. Yes. Uh, can, can I ask you, is that a new award? I don't remember that one before. I know there that is a award that's been um, around for for a number of years now. I did not know that, but I think I think they did have the award when I was on the Olympic team. Unfortunately, that came later. Um, yeah, I actually actually have uh, I can see the plaque in front of me. It's beautiful. Um, I uh, so yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, it's it's really it's it really is great. You know, when I get stuff like that that I can show to my kids, it's. Uh, you know, it's particularly uh, particularly nice to to win them now. So, uh, yeah, so I appreciate that honor. And Shabalov actually came to the award ceremony in Orlando at the U.S. Open and made a very amusing uh, uh, speech, acceptance speech for the team. So, yeah, yeah, good old Shabalov. <laughs> so it's time for our best question contest, and it is sponsored by U.S. Chess Sales, the official chess shop of the U.S. Chess Federation. U.S. Chess Sales is the largest chess retailer in the U.S. From chess books, software to DVDs, from chess pieces to clocks to computers, U.S. Chess Sales is your complete one-stop chess shop. With over 5,000 items in stock, it offers same-day shipping and a low-price guarantee. Find it cheaper at any specialty chess retailer, and they'll gladly match them. Shop today at www.uscfsales.com. So, Joel, normally I, I read a few questions and I identify one as the best question, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently this time. I'm, I, we have three three solid questions here, and I think that I'm going to base it on whichever one elicits the most interesting response from you. So, okay. so no pressure from you, but somebody's $50 <laughs> gift certificate is riding on the line here. <laughs> yeah. So the first one comes from Jason Brown, who is from Las Vegas, Nevada. He says, he asks, what changes have you made in your approach to a tournament and in your game analysis over the last 30 years to stay as competitive with the kids, and he puts kids in quotation marks, as you are? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not so competitive with the kids right now. I mean, I have to be honest about that. But, you know, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm not in, in total playing shape i mean even the last time the u.s masters i just played in which did not go very well for me i you know i thought i was relatively good because you know i did have the the senior championship and i did a lot of preparation i felt i did a lot of good work but i i realized i i have to do i have to do more you know um i was actually a little bit behind where i thought i was and i know that i have to i have to you know do more uh, find a way to do more work on a regular basis and really, and really be prepared. And the thing is the, the opening preparation helps you in ways you don't realize because it's not, it's not about winning a game from the opening because people almost never get to do that anymore. Everybody else knows too much, but it's really more getting those moves out and not burning a lot of time on the clock to be able to make the decisions later on. So I, I have to get better at that because, um, you know, it's, I can't, you know, I can't win games out of, you know, terrible time pressure and stuff like that, or, or making quick moves to catch up on the clock. 
So there's a lot of things that I that I have to do better if I'm truly going to compete with the kids. But if I get them one game a day, then I then I'm okay. So what's really interesting to me about that is it sounds like your appetite for study and improvement and chess overall is is just as strong as it's ever been. Well, uh, you know, I've I've started to to, to do things a little differently. Uh, also, also, I should should uh, should point out that last November I was invited to play in an international tournament uh, at the St. Louis Chess Club, and I was really grateful for that opportunity. They were that was really kind of the first of their outreach to players of my generation, which I'm really very happy to see, and that was helpful for me. You know, people can study and study, but in a vacuum, it doesn't work. You need, you know, I, I always found, you know have found that you need you know important competitions like that uh to base it around to get the the study focused and so as i have tournaments like that you know if i play in more serious tournaments that helps me that helps me study better and um you know then i'll then I'll in turn be more and more ready for for those events okay our next question comes from dan prill that's uh prill with a p um, he asks, I would like to know if there is any aspect of Grandmaster Benjamin's game that he feels has improved as he's gotten older, and if so, is it due to any conscious effort on his part? Okay. That's also an interesting question. Uh, I, I think I've gotten better in the end game. Um, you know, it's strange because, you know, when you've played as long as I can, I can, I can point to... to um, you know, great end games, and I can point to terrible end games. But I think that I've, in general, I've gotten better. And I know in certain types of end games, I've gotten, I think, a lot better. And that's partially because I wrote a book on end games. So I definitely understand pawn endings, you know, a thousand times better. I learned a lot writing the book. So I think, yeah, I think that's that's the part of the game that you improve the the most in over time you know because experience experience really helps you the most with uh with end games but um really for me it's the challenge is to not regress in various aspects of the game (laughs) (laughs) okay and our last question comes from joel rocky what is one of your favorite memories or stories from the deep blue kasparov match in 97 oh this is a tough question because um you know, there, there's so many, but I haven't thought about it, you know, for a while. So, you know, I put on the spot, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, choose the wrong one. But, um, um, <laughs> I, you know, cause the thing is, thing is, it was, a, it was, a, it was a great experience. I, you know, I, I want to say, you know, generally that I really liked working with those guys and having a job, <laughs> really the only time in my life, you know, having a place to go every day and work. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, that whole experience, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the memories, unfortunately were, were not so pleasant because, because, uh, Kasparov was such a bad sport and, uh, you know, you know, tried to make us feel guilty for, for winning that match. And that, that, uh, you know, that, that part of it wasn't, uh, wasn't so good, but, uh, yeah, you know, like I was able to, to bring, to bring my, uh, to bring my, uh, uh, you know, friends in on the project to to help me out uh, with some consults, work in the openings and stuff. And I thought it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know why this is coming to me, but I thought it was very funny the time when my, you know, my buddy John 
Fedorovich, you know, told me that he had he had just used uh, Kasparov's private bathroom for the match <laughs> in, in, in the most strenuous way, and I <laughs> thought that was very funny. You know, and also Carol Jarecki, you know, like saw him and said, "What are you doing here?" And she and and he said. I have clearance because <laughs> he uh, he was uh, he was uh, you know a member of our of our team, so he was uh, although it wasn't well publicized at that point. Um, so, how did IBM come to to you for uh, as their consultant, uh, as opposed to one of the other top players in the U.S. at the time? Well, there's a good story there. Um, this happened in the fall of 1995. Remember, there was there were two matches. There was the first match in Philadelphia, you know, before the the one that Deep Blue won. So it also so it goes. The whole thing dates back to the end of 1995 when they were getting ready for that Philadelphia match. And um, 1995 was a really frustrating time for me. 1994, I was invited to top level international tournaments. I was the highest-rated highest, highest American-born player at the time, and I got to play in Munich. I got to play in Horgan. I got to play in the Donna Memorial. I mean, the Horgan tournament, Kasparov was in that. That's you know how, how good that one was. But I bombed out in all of them, you know? So that was really, I guess, my chance if I was going to be you know, world-class. You know, I had to make it then. So uh, 95 was very depressed. There were two tournaments in North, uh, in North America you know, around that time, um, there was an international in San Francisco and one in Bermuda, and I was, and I wasn't invited to either one of them. So I was really kind of uh, down in the dumps, and I was thinking, you know, contemplating retirement and all this. And because I was home and not doing anything, when IBM contacted me to play a practice match against the computer, I was able to do it, and they actually brought three of us: me. Ilya Gurevich and Patrick Wolf. We all played two game matches. They said, "Okay, we give you going to give you five hundred for coming, and if you win the match, you get an extra five hundred. So I went in there. I played the first game with Black, and I beat it. And then I played the second game, and I had a small advantage, and really basically could have made a draw. But you know, I was very competitive <laughs> and not desperate for the money back then. So I wanted to win that game. So I won that game too." So I beat it 2-0. And then they sat down with me, and then we talked about the match, and they said, you seem to really know a lot about what to do against computers. And I said, yeah, I did. I played a few times in the Harvard Cup, and I was very successful in that tournament against the computers. So they said, well, we've got something to tell you. This was actually an audition for a consultant uh, job and we all decided that you were by far the best and we would like to offer you this job and i was like wow this is amazing i was you know i didn't have to think about that for more than two seconds you know so i was very very happy to to, to get that opportunity and but, but you know it you know came about you know largely because of circumstance you know like if if, if i had been you know, overseas playing in a tournament, then I wouldn't have gotten the job. You mentioned earlier it was it was kind of like your f- first real job. I put real. I've got kind of yeah. air quotes going here, right. uh, but it was still a chess chess job. But I, I guess your point is you were working for a corporation. W- was there any kind of culture shock about uh, job performance? Would, was it nine to five or was it uh, crazy hours for this uh, project? 
was long before I had my kids, so I was not a morning person yet. So it was more like 10 to 6. But yeah, I mean, basically, it was a full-time job. I went into the office five, five days a week. I'd sit down at my terminal. I'd, you know, I'd, uh, I'd play practice games. And they, they weren't exactly necessarily games start to finish. Sometimes I'd get some position, and then I'd, you know, I might take back a move and put in another move and say, okay, what's, what does the computer do if I, I do this? And I'd you know, take notes and present them to the programmer. So it was kind of like uh, you know, testing it out. I, th- I think in a way that really nobody had ever truly done with a you know, computer program before because uh you know i don't think the same same kind of incentive for you know just you know general commercial programs so yeah it was uh it was a real full-time job and i was i was paid well which was really nice and um yeah i mean i really have have only good things but you you asked the question about job performance um not so much for me because i was just a consultant but you know for the for the other guys who were, you know, regular IBM employees, they had to, you know, they had to put up with a lot of red tape and, and, you know, stuff that uh, higher ups were, were telling them to do. So they, uh, you know, I, I could, I was witness to it, but really they had much more of that kind of stress than I, I did. Uh, let me, let me just, let me, let me just expand on that. At one point, he, here's a funny story, actually. <laughs> now I remember a funny story. Maybe this one's more appropriate. Um, at some point, they brought in a sports psychologist, right, to, to, to work with the team. And I said, I said, look, this is very nice, but really, you know, the other guy needs a sports psychologist. All the psychology is on him. You know, like, like once the match starts, we, we don't actually have anything to do. We, we're just looking, you know, <laughs> or one guy is moving the pieces on the board. You know, it's like the computer is doing all the work. So it's easy for us. <laughs> but I, but I, I do remember the, um, the, the guy we brought said something about, um, you know, that we have to, uh, that we have to be emotionally ready to compete. And there was, uh, there was one day, <laughs> again, it's always Fedorovich in these stories. I know, I'm sure you read American Grandmaster. You see how many times he appears in that book. Uh, uh, he, he comes and he's, sh- he's shaking his head. He says, Joel, I, I don't, I don't know if I can come up with you know, any good opening moves today. I said, what's wrong? He says, I'm just not emotionally ready to compete. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, 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 I think that the question that generated the most interesting discussion was certainly this one about Deep Blue Kasparov. So, uh, Joel Rock... I guess I... I- I guess I never get tired of talking about it, but you know they were all good questions. That uh, they were, but I think, you know, I think simply for the Fedorovich uh, bathroom anecdote, I, I, I don't know, how does he always get in there, you know, <laughs> to be on, honestly, he was like, he was involved in like, you know, like 10% of the project and somehow he gets in this. <laughs> so Joel Rocky, congratulations. You have won the $50 gift certificate and it should be in your email inbox now. Thank you for participating. And for our future shows, please send any questions to podcast at uschess.org. And before I get to my final question for you, Joel, um, I, I want to mm-hmm. alert people that if they want to learn more about your books, that uh, you had a you, you talked extensively about them on our friend Ben Johnson's Perpetual Chess podcast. So I'd point people to that. It's in the archives uh, on, on on his website, and also your books are available at U.S. Chess Federation sales. 
I just want to say one thing about the books, if I can. Sure. Because people, you know, they're always they're always concerned about. Okay, this is a good book. Is is this for me? I uh, I really think with with both the liquidation, which the new one has, you know, like fifty new positions. It's a it's a fat book. I'm really proud of how fat that book is. Better fat book than fat than fat stomach, but you know, fat book. Um, and uh, you know, I think I think both books are really good, but. Um, I think that really just about every level, you know, like if, you know, maybe not beginner, but let's say 1200 and up, you're going to learn something. Some parts of both books will be too difficult, but a lot of the fundamental stuff you'll learn. So if anybody's interested in the book and they're afraid it's a too high a level, I, I think that, that they shouldn't let that hold them back. Uh, and this question may have kind of a ring of what have you done for me lately, but you know, you just won uh, again uh, book of the year from the Chess Journal of America. Do you, do you, do you have a, uh, another book project on the table right now? Um, I, I have an idea for a book, which I've kicked around, which I'm probably going to do, but I don't want to actually say it yet because I, I haven't really gotten started or, or put it on the contract yet. But, but I do, I do intend to to write more books, and I think that in the future I I will uh, do more books that are or, uh, oriented towards uh, towards children and young players. Oh no, that that is an interesting direction. I am I'm I'm intrigued. So, um, so final question for for this show. Uh, this is our 80th anniversary year at US Chess, and I've been asking this question to all my podcast guests this year. What has U.S. chess meant to you? <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, you have you have a long memory as well as I do, and and the the relationship between the the grandmasters and the USF hasn't always been great. But I will say that I think that over the last several years, it it has been getting getting better and better. I think that there's um, the 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 USF has done a great job of uh, if not eliminating, certainly um, toning down a lot of you know political squabbles that that occur. It's really uh, I think now people are working together better, and um, you know, uh, and I think I think that uh, the attitude towards towards professional players is getting better and better. So I think I think that. Uh, uh, that what I want to say most of all is is that the trend is is upwards, and I hope that continues. Well, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was really a, a fun and interesting discussion. So thank you, and we look forward to uh, reading your stories uh, in Chess Life in the future. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this August edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Make sure to listen next month when our topic will be International Master Christopher Yu, our youngest international master, and our guest will be the cover story writer on this topic, International Master Kostya Kovitsky. Write in with your questions by emailing podcast at uschess.org for your chance to win a $50 gift certificate to U.S. Chess Federation sales in our Best Question Contest. We are grateful to U.S. Chess Federation sales for their sponsorship. Thank you and good chess.